Hi. Thank you so much for joining us as we open up God's Word this morning. No matter where you're watching, at whatever time you're watching this, chances are that you're sitting at home or you're close to home. I know there's groups of people gathering together at the moment all over Victoria to watch these messages. And if you just take a moment to to look around at those in the room, and just as Andrea so well just pointed out, that you get really comfortable at home, don't you? As you look around the room, you see people that you feel comfortable with. But if I was to ask the question, have you ever had a fight with somebody that you deeply love at home? What would you say? If I was asked the question, what is that fight? What was that fight about? What would the answer be? If I was sitting at home, I'd probably be getting some elbows right about now and that look about some of the, the arguments and fights that we've had over the years in our married life. What if I ask you the question, have you ever looked at somebody that you deeply love, somebody that's a part of your family and just thought, I wish they could, I wish they would just, or if they'd just become a bit more like, what would those answers be? You see, we're all a part of a family. We're all a part of a biological family and whatever your household is made up of, it may be your dog, it may be your pet cat, it may be a, a, a roommate or a relative while you're at university, it may be that you have a loved one that you live with. But you're also part of a church family. And as a church family, sometimes, as much as we love our brothers and sisters, we can get angry. We can sometimes look at somebody and say the words, I wish they would, or if they could, or if they could become more like. I believe there's been significant times throughout history in both our families and within the church where there's been moments where we've looked at somebody and compared them to somebody else. And what we've needed to really do is take a good hard look at Scripture to see, well, what is actually our role? What are we trying to become like? And when we look at Scripture, the questions for us become that we should become more like or look like or do, become so much more clearer when we open up God's Word. So this morning, if you've ever had a fight with somebody that you love that didn't come to a conclusion with a loving understanding and resolution, with an empathy of both sides of that topic, or if you've looked at somebody and deep down just was deeply unhappy with who they were because you feel like they should become something more, then this message is for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look in your word, we would see the way that you want us to, to live our lives. You would see our roles as individuals, but also as the body of Christ. We would see our roles within our household, our roles within the church, our roles within society. So as a family, both biological household, but also as the body of Christ, we could live in a way that would be pleasing to you. Lord, reveal yourself through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2013, the National Health uh, the National Institute of Health in the USA undertook some research. 
in a project to see how both men and women's brains responded specifically to the sound of a crying baby. And the, the idea of a crying child was, was even more specific, that the child that was crying was a hungry child. And this study took place, and there was other study that, that flowed out of this. And, and what they were looking to see is how did the neurological biological, chemical reactions within the brain differ between male and female. Australian parenting online magazine Bounty in 2015 echoed this research and took it further and said that while the male brain was able to drift and and think differently rather than be so fixated on the sounds, it, it, it was this research showed that the female brain could not help but engage on a deeper level. Both male and female brains released a chemical called oxytocin. However, the chemical reacted differently in both the male and female brains. The male brain also was shown to be more alert of the surroundings of their environment when the sound of an infant crying who was hungry was evident. Professor Mark Dodds from the School of Psychology in the University of New South Wales told Mother and Baby magazine that the findings might make biological sense in terms of specialisation. The task of a family group are many and complex, says Mark Dodds. Sometimes the nature assigns sometimes nature assigns different skills and priorities to different family members. In this case, each gender may be biologically cued to respond to the different stimuli such as crying. All of these studies that were undertaken on the same topic had the same conclusion that a mother's Nurturing response, or the female nurturing response to a crying infant was that of of a nurturing desire to help that child seek food. While the male's response was that of a protecting response. So what we see in the academic world is that, according to nature according to, to their words, in, in the ideas of survival of the fittest, when a child is crying and maybe alerting a predator to its location, the male is on guard, while the female is trying to respond. That's the academic version of the roles within a family. How much more important is it that when we look to Scripture, we see actually the exact same thing? What we see is there is such a beauty in diversity. Within the the family unit, we see that there's different parts and different roles within the family, and each is diverse. Yet science and the Bible all say that, but when it works together, it is such a beautiful thing. And while we know that doesn't always take place in our world, we're going to look to Scripture to see exactly what our roles are, both as as a household but also as the body of Christ. Because as the body of Christ, we are made up of different people, different talents, different gifts, different callings, yet we're all one body. Today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And it speaks about this topic, and we're going to read the entirety of this area about uni- this area of unity and diversity within the body of Christ. Just as 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all in its many parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as from one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given to the one Spirit to drink, even if the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are, are, are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, given greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body but that of its parts that should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, each and every one of you as a part of it. And God has placed in the church first the apostles, second the prophets, third the teachers, then the miracles and the gifts of healing, and then the, the helping and of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all miracle workers? Do not all have the gifts of healing? Do not all speak in tongues? Do not all interpret? Now eagerly desire these greatest, the greater gifts. And the passage goes on to talk about what our homework was last week. And it says, yet I will show you the most excellent way. And it speaks all about love. And while we all have different gifts, we all have diversity, we are unified in love. I was around about 20 years old and I was playing football and I injured my right knee and it was, I can tell the the true story or the wrong story if you want the true story, I was just running and it gave way and I fell over. The, The way I tell it is I was grabbing the goal and kicking it and all that stuff but I wasn't. And what what took place is I had torn my anterior cruciate ligament, which is the the really common knee injury in AFL. And I'd gone in for the operation and they had said it was a a significant tear. But after the tear was repaired, something hadn't quite been 
fixed right and something hadn't been stitched up that needed to be stitched up and I had an internal bleed on the lower part of my leg. Now what that meant is that my foot couldn't do what it's meant to do and your foot, when it it bends, bends your calf muscle and that bending of the calf muscle, I'm told, helps to pump all the blood back up, defies gravity and pumps the blood back up to everywhere else. Now, my my leg had blown up so much that I couldn't bend my foot, so my calf couldn't pump, which means the blood couldn't go up, which meant the blood would go down and stay there. So my calf, the, the lower portion of my leg, blew up to larger than a football and just as tight. And it was extremely painful. So painful that a simple task like going to the bathroom meant that I had a 12-second window. I would count to 10, but I know in reality it was 12 seconds. And what I would do is I would be on the couch with my leg elevated to let the blood drain down, and I'd realize I needed to go to the bathroom. I'd then grab my crutches and then do that crutch walk that you do and make my way to, to as far as I could the whole time, counting down from 10, 10, 9, Eight, I would get about halfway there and by the time I got to about three, I knew that I had to stop because I'd start to feel lightheaded and the pain was building up. I would then somehow lie myself down on the ground and using the hand peg from the crutch, get it under my foot to elevate it in some weird way and sit there and wait a couple of minutes until the blood went down and then I would get myself back up, a lot of pain any time anything touched it was just agonizing, and then I would 10, 9, and try and make my way to the bathroom. I would then have to go wash my hands in a separate room. It was about a three to four break journey to go to the bathroom. You add the time up and it sort of meant that I... 10, 20, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a couple of minutes in. It was like a 10-minute ordeal just to get to the bathroom and get back on the couch. Like I, I literally didn't have a leg to stand on. I'm going to keep putting dad jokes in. No one's laughing at him, mate. Come on. The, the hard part about it is part of my body wasn't working. One part of my body had stopped working and it affected everything, everything. It it took me minutes to recover from that 10-second journey. It it took me like well over months to to recover from the, the bleeding, not just the injury. I've still got a soft spot for knee injuries because of this. And I've got to say that, that, that it's fine now, there's nothing wrong with it, but, but in that moment, one part of my body didn't work and it affected everything. And in that season, that was okay because everything was supporting that one part of the body. But you couldn't live like that. And I wanted that part to get better and I did what I needed to do to get that part better. Now, that part of my body supports the rest. It's one, I don't think about it anymore. I very rarely think about my, my leg injury that was there. So when one part of us isn't operating, it affects us all. But the verse also says, but, but when one part is honoured, all of the body is honoured. And I'm going to stay with the football analogy because you see those moments where there's this, this player that's standing in front of goals and, and the, the score, there's only a few points in it and it could go either way. 
And you're looking at the goals. You're looking at it and you're looking at the person and they're feeling the pressure. And that one individual player is about to do their part. And every other player is holding their breath. They're with them, they're supporting them, but that player can only do his part. They can't kick the ball for him. And he lines up and he kicks the ball and it goes through the goals. And the team wins. The next day in the newspaper, what do you see? You don't see that player's name, unless it was a grand final or something. What what you see is that the team won. The player didn't win. The player kicked a goal, but it was the team that wins. When one part is honoured, the entire body is honoured. The team gets the goal. When it goes down in history, that one goal isn't that substantial. It's the team's win that echoes into the archives. And it's the same with our families, with our households, and also our church. It's so important that we work together, each doing our part, so that when we suffer, we can support one another and help. When we win, we are celebrating as a family, as a church, as a household. But what about our individual roles? That analogy works, but that player still had to kick the goal. What are the goals that we need to kick? Well, Ephesians 5 talks about this. And I'm going to start with the very start of the the verse. Unlike usually when we read this passage, we start at verse 22, but we often miss verse 21, which changes the whole context. Verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. It's talking about your household, husbands and wives. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. If you want to honour Christ, if you want to show how much Christ means to you, you need to submit to one another. It goes on. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. One of the key words is our no, your own, sorry, not our. That's, that's really the wrong word. <laughs> wives, submit to your own husband. Just saying, wives, you have a family. Focus there. There's echoes of, of this pattern of saying, do you know what? When you have one God, you worship one God. Exodus, uh, when we look at the book of Exodus, chapter 20, the, the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is love the Lord your God first. Second commandment, don't have any other idols, don't have any other distractions, just focus on God. And there's an echo within that relationship that we also see in the family relationship. Wives, one family, one husband. Don't don't get distracted looking at at others and seeing what they're doing. You, You support and you love and you care for your husband. And And I love these words because as husbands, we do really silly things, don't we? And this passage, the the heart of this passage is saying, you know what, even when your husband does that silly thing, still love him, still support him. Why? Because husbands, we are called to submit to Christ and to lead our family like that. It says in verse 24, now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he gave himself up for her. He gave himself 
Husbands, give yourself up for your wives. Give yourselves up. I love this picture. And I see the agony of Jesus as he wrestles between his own humanity and his own desires, yet his love for the church, his love for the people, the love for his bride. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's in that space and he goes, God, it's not my will. It's not my desires. It's not the things I want to do. Actually, I don't want to do this. I'm not looking forward to this. I am in absolute agony wrestling through this but it's not my will it's yours be done and i'm going to give myself up for my bride the church i'm going to give myself up for the people that i love the most husbands give yourself up for your wives don't give in to your own desires but give yourself the way god has intended that to be loving your family caring for your family kids If you're listening, this is an important verse for you. Exodus, the Ten Commandments once again. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your mother and father so you may live long in the land that God has given you. Honor your mother and father. It's so important that you listen to what your mum and dad have to say. They love you. They created you. They They have just the best loving intentions to raise you in a family that puts God first. And when you listen to them and you live and and listen and do the right thing, do the things that they've told you to do, you know, get along with one another, don't fight with your brother or sister. When you do those things, you honor your mother and father. In the way that you act, in the way that you live, is actually a testament to your family, one body, many parts, but also of how God is living and working within you. But as we raise our children, there's, there's a mandate too. Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, verse 4, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. So don't, don't go be too hard on them. Don't, don't oppress them, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 1, the very first Proverbs from the, the man that, that God had given wisdom far beyond any other ruler of the nations, either before or after, when he wrote the first proverb, says this, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are garlands of grace on your head and chains that adorn your neck. Now, the idea of a son that's used in there is is the heir. And so it does translate to, to sons or daughters, but the tense in the word son means you inherit the responsibility. You also inherit the, the things that God has given you. It's an inheritance. There's a mandate to carry this on. Male or female, sons and daughters, that's okay. But the, the, the word son means there is an heir, an inheritance that you carry. And the, the garland of grace, you know, this wisdom, this godly way of living, this moral rightness that comes from a relationship with God is actually visible. You can see somebody living the right way just by looking at them, the, the garland around their neck and on their head. It's, it's a visible thing that you can see when you live in the way that God has called us to be. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. These commandments I have given you today to be on your hearts but impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, 
And when you look, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them down on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. The, the start of this passage is a, a prayer that the Jewish people would pray multiple times a day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The idea of this passage about tying it on as symbols on your hands and on your foreheads and tying on, on your door frames on your houses, you know, written at a time in Deuteronomy where they're actually not, they didn't have houses, they were still in the wilderness, they're still nomadic. But so, so there is no door frames and no gates because they're, they're living in tents. And, and what they're saying, what the heart of this passage is, it says, make this love of God a part of your daily rhythms. Teach it, the, the way that you live within your home, teach these things to your kids. As you go out, teach them to those that are around you. Live in a way that is visible, that there is something different about you, that, that you're putting God so first in your life that it's a visible difference that people see. As you go out, as you come in, as the center of your home, make sure that Christ and what he's taught you, that the love that you have for him is at the center of your lives. And so what is our role within our families? What's our role as kids? What's our role as teenagers? What's our roles in retirement? What's our role as the church? What does it look like? There are some specifics if we want to dive into those, but generally there is something that unifies us as the body of Christ. And that is that we love God first. It's not that complicated. The actual rule, the actual thing that we're called to do is to love God first. Doing it can be hard, but the actual idea, what is our role, is quite simple. Love God first. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a teenager, as a retiree, as a church, as a family, as a single, as a never married, as a uni student, love God First, it goes on, and Scripture is so clear, it echoes this sentiment through different versions. It says, you know what? Loving others shows that we love God first. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes the Deuteronomy passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbor. As yourself. By loving others, you can show that you love God first. It, it, when it comes to households with children, the, the way that you love, the way that we love our children shows that we love God first. And teaching our children to love God first shows that we love God first. It, it, everything comes back to our relationship with God. And if we get our relationship with God right, everything else falls into place. Everything else will fall into place. If we submit ourselves firstly to God and live a life that, that shows that we love God first, it, it will just go through the rest of our life 
It'll impact our relationships with the people that we love. It'll impact the relationships with the people that we come in contact with. It'll impact our relationships with our children. It'll impact our relationships with the dog. It'll impact every part of our life. But it starts with a heart that just seeks to put God first. Today's challenge is one that may take a few minutes for us to to wrestle with because it's an inward challenge to each individual that's watching this. And it's that if someone was to look at you, based on the the, the passages that we've read about when somebody can look at you, you children, you honour your parents when you follow their, their wise, biblical, godly instruction. When you, you honour your parents, when it's like wisdom that you can see. You can see the, the beauty of someone that, that's living a generous, kind, gracious life. When you listen to the way somebody talks, you go, wow, there's something about them that is greater than the things of this world. It is visible. If someone was to look at you, how would someone tell that you love God first? If they just looked at you, listened to you, observed you, what in your daily routine would show that you love God first? Our challenge this week is to find some time and reflect on that and pray pray a prayer. God, how would people see that I love you first? How can I live in a way that would show that? I'm going to invite the band up while we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this week I pray that we would be able to see the roles that you've given us through the lens that is so, so simple, that the creator of the world deeply desires to have a relationship with his creation. The one that loves us the most wants us to love him in return. So, Lord, I I pray that as we look at this, as we wrestle through this this week, that we would live lives that would place you at the center, that we would love you first. Lord, I pray that as we may need to do some changes, firstly within our heart, but then within our actions, Lord, I pray that people would see that. Firstly, the people that we love the most our kids, our families, those closest to us, but then also those that we also come in contact outside of that little sphere. May we be known both as families and as a church family as people that have dedicated themselves to loving God first. In Jesus' name, amen.